We resume, as our brother Andrew has already said, our studies uh, in the in the book of First Corinthians. Um, after the parenthesis, so to speak, that we had in the last four weeks on the ministry from our brother Jim on the local church, I hope you do. You do not think that um, the segment in the last four weeks was just an opera segment out of nowhere. This is all part of what we really want to encourage uh, ourselves as an assembly so that these things that we are talking about, you can put them together collectively and you will be able to notice that there is a, a constant theme in the sense that what we desire or at least try to be doing here is to building ourselves up so that we can become functionally more like what the New Testament church ought to be. So the things that Jim was talking about in the last four weeks, they are really a continuation of the things that we've been talking about from the beginning of 1 Corinthians and the things that we're going to talk about on the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians. Mainly got to do with what a local assembly is, the things that we should be doing, the doctrines that we ought to maybe refresh uh, that maybe we've sort of like lost sight of or just to equip ourselves because as Christians we interact with many things that are out there in the world and indeed some of it might be good but quite a bit of it is not so good. So we hope that by these studies that we're just going to uh, continue having together you'll be enriched in these things and better equipped as Christians to become what scripture tells us to be like as believers. So as Andres already said, my portion for this um, morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the whole chapter really, so I'll just try and read through it uh, quickly from my Bible. You can follow it on yours or you can just listen to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administration but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, but the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. To another descending of spirits, to another diversity the diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? But if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were, a, were one eye, were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, 
much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble and necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these, we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more, have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God had tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And always we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Now, in the verse, very first verse, we see the Apostle Paul use a very common phrase that, is, that he uses um, um, uh, uh, very repeatedly. The sentence there, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Really, that sentence, if you've got a Bible like mine, you'll find that the word gifts there is in italics because that was added to give um, context to the passage that is talking about. But really, if we're going to read it in its original sense, what that sentence is, is now concerning spirituals. That's what it really means. If you've got a Bible like mine, you find that the word spiritual has got one, two, three lines. It's a plural because the language of Hebrew is singular, is dual, and then it's more than two. So this is the same sort of distinction that you'll find when scripture talks about the Godhead. If you've got a Bible like mine, you'll find that it uses those three lines to show, to show that it's more than two. So this is the same distinction that scripture is making here. So really what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, he says, now concerning spiritual, spiritual things, brethren, okay, we're going to deal about spiritual things here. I would not have you ignorant. This is a very common phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. He uses this phrase every time when there is a contention or there is a misunderstanding about things. You'll find it in First Corinthians, in Romans chapter 1, for instance. There was, since there was an argument with, oh, is the Apostle Paul going to come? Is he going to come? Is he not going to come? And he says, look, I will not have you ignorant how we have wanted to come, but we're not able to come. So he's clarifying a matter. He uses this again when he talks about um, Israel in Romans chapter 11. I will not have you ignorant that, look, the blindness of Israel is in part for your sake, you Gentiles. So because there was that confusion to say, oh, has God, has God done away with Israel? Is, is, is it now the end? That's it for Israel. No. Then Apostle Paul corrects that again. He uses the same phrase again in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when he talks about those uh, that are believers that are asleep. There was a, a seemingly a confusion in the house of uh, Thessalonians that they thought that those that had died, basically they have they've missed out. But the Apostle Paul corrects that to say, look, <laughs> these are not actually missing out. And then he tells them what is going to happen. And he says the same thing when there was doubt whether the Lord is going to come again in Second Peter chapter 3. He tells them, look, do not be ignorant about the way God uh, deals with these things. God one day is, is a thousand days to him. In other words, God is not late. God, don't be confused about these things. So he uses this phrase to, to, to preempt the things that he's going to talk about, to say, look, don't be confused about these things. Let's get these things right. You would have thought that this particular passage we're going to deal with today was written actually for the 21st century. Because indeed the things of spirituality in scripture are in so much confusion nowadays, sadly, even within Christendom. 
So we'll just try to unpack as fast as we can on some of the things that scripture is going to deal with here. You know that, uh, verse 2, you know that we were, you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. So now what is the context here? Would remember that these Gentiles, the Corinthians, this church was in a mess. They had a baggage. They were just like you and I. Okay? They, maybe more like me, in the sense that my father was a spirit medium. So my background is that of a spirit medium. So these Corinthians, they had the baggage of the things that they had before they were saved. So indeed, they had experience. They had experienced spiritual things that are demonic. So they had experience of these things. Believe it or not, maybe not so much maybe manifest in the West, but where I come from, there is real, tangible, experienced experience of spiritual things that are demonic. I know it. I don't need anybody to tell me because I have witnessed them myself. So these Corinthians, they had such experiences. And so when you come from that kind of a background and then you come and you become a believer, sometimes it is easy to then conflate some of these things. One of the things that perhaps we can take from these passages is that not everything that is out there belongs in here. We should make a distinction with that. So the Corinthians were now experiencing the spiritual things of God, but with the baggage of the spiritual experiences that they had in their past lives. And so now the Apostle Paul is going to try and put them uh, correctly. And indeed, in my own experiences, I have seen this sort of thing happen. I have seen the things that are practiced outside being brought into the church to, com to conflict them with the doctrinal teachings of scripture. And you end up with a mishmash of things. And so the Apostle Paul is going to try to endeavor to put things, these things correctly. So he reminds them that you once were followers of these damn idols. Okay, we're going to talk about spiritual things. He's saying, I am not going to ignore the fact that you have already have, you have already had experiences in your former lives in the demonic world. And now you are believers. But I will now put these things right for you so that you can understand how spiritual things work in Christianity. In God's ways, especially in particular in the house of the Lord. Let us remember that the setup here is when believers come together. The things here, the context is still coming back from the previous chapter. When you come together. So this is the context on which these things are being dealt. Wherefore, I will give you... To understand that no man speaketh by the Spirit of God, call it Jesus accursed. And so similarly, there is no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, what does this mean? This does not mean that there is no man who can... This is not talking about walking down on the streets. And someone says, Jesus is the Lord. Therefore, it means that he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is not the context in which, yes, that may be true, but this is not necessarily the context in which this is happening. Here he is talking about where a situation of spirituality is manifesting itself. Now, you have to go to Africa to see these things. When people are influenced by a spirit and they are driven to do things in the power of that spirit, there is no spirit, there is, to put it more directly, there is no demon, right, that would proclaim, right, that Jesus is Lord. In other words, the, the demon does not vouch for the Lord. Yes, they know who the Lord is. But similarly, when someone 
is operating in the spirit and has the spirit of God, right? When they act under the power of that spirit, they cannot curse the Lord. There is no one who is, who is filled by the Holy Spirit and is driven in that spirit to curse the Lord. That does not happen. It is impossible. When that happens, it is not the spirit of God. Get out of there. This is a truth in spirituality. Now, why is that so? Now, the Apostle Paul is going to bring together the truth of the Godhead. I know we use the term Trinity uh, because it is easily understood in the word. Really, the biblical word here is Godhead. Is that? The Spirit cannot curse the Lord. Why? Because there is nothing that the Spirit does that the Lord is not part of. There is nothing that the Lord does that the Spirit is not part of. There is nothing that the Lord does that God the Father is not part of. In other words, the mystery of the Godhead is that though there are three distinct persons, they are so, for lack of a better term, unified in purpose that there is nothing that any one of the persons can do that can displease any of the two persons. I hope I'm not confusing things here. The operations of the Godhead is so united, is so one, that there is no distinction. There is no instance where the Spirit is operating and somehow this, the, 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 the Lord is not involved or the Lord is surprised that the Spirit did this. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Because, and then he goes on to illustrate this purpose that these things that we are talking about, actually, all the Godhead is involved in them. So, there is no way that the Spirit can curse the Son. Because it cannot happen. It is impossible. Now, we are talking about spiritual things here. Now, then the Apostle Paul is going to list a couple, a number of spirits here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll just mention just a few. The spirit of wisdom. What is the spirit of wisdom? Now, the spirit of wisdom is that ability or the power to speak with divine insight. We could use in this country people who are filled with God's spirit of wisdom right now, don't we? The country goes in a basket because sometimes we have people in places of authority and power who do not have wisdom of God. We could use men or women of God with the spirit of wisdom in Ukraine right now, wouldn't we? Stupidity can lead to dire consequences. So here, wisdom here is talking about those people who have been given that gift to speak divine wisdom. Maybe an example of this is in John chapter 11. You remember um, when the priests came together to plot against the Lord. What are we going to do to this man? You know, he's doing so many miracles. If we don't do anything, everybody's going to follow this man. Let's do something. And then Cephas comes in and he says, you know nothing. You don't know what you're talking about, you people. Do you not know that it is 
good that one man should die so that the nation would be saved. Now, Scripture puts a qualifier that says, because Cephas was the high priest, in other words, he was the representative of God in that time. He did not, he did not speak this of himself. But in, in, in speaking these things, he was actually prophesying that God, that the Lord was going to die for us. Now, how, so, so here, Cephas spoke in the power of the spirit of the wisdom of God in what was happening. The priests were absolutely blind. They couldn't, they couldn't tell what exactly God was doing. But Cephas, being the high priest, was empowered with that wisdom to do so. We see, there are many instances. You can see it in Joseph as well. Um, when, 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 when Pharaoh points out this very aspect. Where can we find a man such as one in whom the spirit of God is? With such wisdom in whom the spirit of God is. So this is what uh, wisdom is. Knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is power to communicate information that has been divinely revealed. This is when a brother or a sister is empowered to explain effectively information so that the hearer can understand it to them. This is information that will be divinely revealed to the individual, which otherwise in their own wisdom, so to speak, they wouldn't know. An example of this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Right? When the apostle says to them, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, the apostle then unpacks this information to the believers. How, how did the apostle, apostle know? How did you know? Because he was given knowledge. He was given divine knowledge on this aspect of the transformation that we are going to experience how our bodies are going to change. This, this, this was something that nobody could have known naturally. But this is information that God gave to the Apostle Paul for him to know specifically and so that they can then share it to the rest of us. And now we know how these things are going to work because of that gift. To another, the gift of healing, I think that is self-explanatory. To another, the working of miracles, I think that is self-explanatory. And to another, prophecy. Now, let's talk about prophecy uh, very shortly. The gift of prophecy in its original intended meaning, really to prophesy means to tell forth, right? To proclaim on behalf of God. So in its original sense, prophecy was when God tells somebody to proclaim to the rest of the multitude about things that will happen in the future. This happens quite a lot in the Old Testament. And these are things that were foundational to how God is going to operate. So when you go to um, Ephesians chapter 2 and the Apostle Paul talks about foundations and he lists prophets in that context, those are the things that he's talking about. The foundational truths that were declared or foretold by the prophets of old for us to know. Now in a lesser extent, we also, and even scripture uses the phrase of prophecy, which means basically to teach, to proclaim, to, 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 to explain something. Okay, When somebody can speak and explain the things of God in a language that is easy for people to appreciate and understand, in that empowered way that only God can help a person to do. So this I would say every sister that explains to anybody 
in a way they are prophesying in that context. That explains scripture to somebody or can discuss scripture to somebody. In a way, in that context, in that sense, scripture can also use the word prophesy. Now, we'll try and now move to one of the issues that are really seem to be central in this particular passage. The gift of tongues and the interpretations. I'll just speak this in one. Now, it seems to me that if you look at how these gifts are being listed down, three times in this chapter, they are listed down. And one of the things that you observe is that the gift of tongues and the interpretations, they are always listed last. And it seems to me that the problem that was happening here in Corinth is that they had got things the wrong way around. They had prioritized those gifts which were spectacular, so to speak. Those which they, they were thrilling, so to speak, to experience. So one of those gifts was really the speaking of tongues. And it was causing a lot of confusion. Why? Because it became the hallmark, so to speak, of being a Christian. It became the thing to go for as a Christian. And you would have thought this is actually happening in the 21st century. Because indeed, this is what we are seeing today. There is quite a lot of emphasis in Christendom on the speaking of tongues. And now the Apostle Paul is going to deal with this to say, what does scripture talk about the gift of tongues? When you go to chapter 14, he actually details how even those things ought to operate in the house of God. But I'm not going to steal, I think it's standard on that one. So I'll leave that one in that. But just enough to say that the gift of tongues had become such a problem and a priority in the, in the, in the, in the church of Corinth that the apostle had to put things right because, as we, as we have already said, three times this gift is listed last. In fact, when you look at the list that happens in, chapter, in verse 28, he actually categorizes them. In verse 28, he talks about those that are first and he talks about those that are secondly, he talks about those things, and then the rest. And you see which category do the speaking of tongues fall into? It falls into the list. It is true. All these gifts are necessary. They are all from God. But what we learn here is that we need to esteem or to prioritize those gifts that God wants us to treasure for the operation of his assembly. Now, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, verse 12 to verse 17 is going to deal about this aspect of one body. Why? If you look at verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. What is it dealing with here? In that time, society was divided mainly on these main categories. You were Jew or you were not a Jew? You were Jew or you were a Gentile? You were free or you were born? This formed classes of people. And this thing was coming into the house of the Lord. What are the classes that we have in our society today? Let me put, this, let me put it this way. If you were going to migrate and go to Australia and you are looking for a church, what kind of a church would you look for? Jim touched a lot about this. When we go to Australia, do you go looking for an English church? Is that what we do? When I came in this country, right, I did shop around. 
I went to the civic center and they gave me a whole list of churches. I asked them, can you give me a list of churches that are around here? They gave me a whole list of churches. And I did go around. I went to Newcastle, I went to Jesmond, I went to Walker. I did walk around. What was I looking for? I came here. Ian Campbell was the one who was preaching at the platform. I remember that very distinctly. And then on the next weekend, Jim gave me a lift and we went to North Shields. John Grant was preaching on that meeting. I remember texting Jim in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock. Poor soul. Right? Texting him because of the things that I learned there. What was I looking for? Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect in any way, but what are we looking for? I could have said, I am looking for a church. Can you please somebody give me or tell me where an African church is? I could have done that. And I did go to African churches. I did. I did. But that is not the question. What scripture here is telling us is, as one but these classes of things, they don't work. They don't operate in the house of God. There is no such thing as an Indian church. There is no such thing as an African church. There is no such thing as an English church. We are one body. All these classes, these categories that we characterize ourselves and divide ourselves into, that make a judgment, that we use to determine where we go to. Not in the house of the Lord. These things, they don't work. There were Gentiles, there were Jews, there were, there were free servants, and there were, there, there, were, there were born servants, and all that. All those things, when people became Christians in Corinthians, they became an issue. You see in chapter 11, all these are now categories of who eats here, who is there, when they're there eating the food. All those things were causing schisms within the house of God. And the Apostle Paul has got to put that right. You are one body. In what sense are you one? In every sense of it. We're going to talk about some of these things. Uh, time permitting. Now let us look at a number of aspects of this one body. Verse 22. I'm skipping a, a couple of things here. Now much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble and necessary. You read from verse 22 to verse 27. Three things come out from those passages. And I'm just going to comment on them very quickly. Honorable and dishonorable members of our body. What is this talking about there? To use the human body, there are features in the human body that we see outwardly that we can see your arms if you got biceps we can see your arms that you are a strong person right but we don't get to see your kidney but does that mean that there is more honor to the arm than to the kidney. Actually, you can live without arms, but you can't live without kidneys. But we don't get to see kidneys. But they operate a special function. What does that mean? There might be those that get to take the, pul the pulpit and we can witness their gift. Does that mean that because we see these gifts, we see these people who practice these things, does it mean that they are more important by some of the things that are done in the house of the Lord that we don't take notice of? What would we do with the cakes and scones that we enjoy after the morning meeting. What would we do without them? What would we do with those that make sure that our toilets are clean? The carpet is hoovered. 
I don't know if you notice, I don't mean to embarrass anybody here. If you walk into the hall here at the front, you will notice that the tiles that are at the front, for years, they were a health hazard. If you stepped on them, they were wobbly. If somebody was going to trip their wood, could have been sued. For years. But you walk outside there now. They are better than my tiles in my house. Now, I'm not going to name names here. But what I can tell you is that those tiles didn't sort themselves out on their own. Somebody has a gift and share that gift. We don't get to see them do it. We didn't see them do it. You don't know why you still have your job. Why you were not fired. You don't know. But there are people that pick the, the prayer calendar and pray for you you don't know it. Maybe they won't tell you. But there are people that are praying for you. You don't know why you crossed that road safely today. But somebody prayed for you. They might not have told you. These things is what scripture is talking about. There is, if there is one thing that as an assembly we want to really get home is that there is no such thing is somebody who has no gift. There's nothing like that. Not in the house of the Lord. There is enough for everybody. Everybody can do something in the house of the Lord. God has equipped us. God does not fail. If you are not gifted, you are either not saved or really get off your backside. Because the Lord does want to gift us and has gifted us. Now, calmly and not calmly, members of our body. For our calmly parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which led that there should be no schism in the body. I was listening to a documentary uh, on Radio 4, and they said blind people, they have developed a very acute sense of hearing, so much so that they are now piloting a scheme where they would give blind people um, a caustic device, right, which they can, they can click as they go, right, like like a finger like this. And because they have such they've developed such an acute sense of hearing, they can actually tell what is around them by bouncing back that acoustic sound. They can tell that there's a thing here, there's nothing here, there's a heavy thing here, there's a light thing here, just by going acoustic. What is the body doing there? The body is compensating the other. The body is adjusting because one part of it is suffering, the other part has come to its aid. I tried to have contact lenses. Twice I've been to the optician. Three professionals tried, they held me down, right? Tried to put contact lenses. Boy, do I have good eyelids. My eyelids. Because the eye cannot protect itself, right? It is vulnerable. My eyelids come to the defense of its eye like no one else that I know. And they would shut. I would see the lens coming, 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 and as soon as it's about one meter, my eye shuts, no matter how, no matter how hard I try, my eye shuts. By the time I left, my eyes were so red, I could have sued and be compensated. But that's beside the point. But the point is, the, eye, the eyelid defended the eye. It came to the aid of the eye because it perceived that the eye is in danger. There is a foreign object that is coming near it and it was having none of it. What is scripture telling us here? 
when one body suffers, when a member of an assembly suffers, it is not his or her problem. It is everyone's problem. When a member of an assembly rejoices or prospers, it is not their own rejoicing or prospering alone. When you are looking for jobs, if, when it's multiple of people within an assembly looking for a job, and one member of the assembly gets a job, what do those that do not have a job do? Do we have long faces because a member of the assembly got a job, and I was looking for the job, and I didn't get the job? That's not what scripture says. We rejoice for that member. A good thing has happened to a member of the assembly. So we will rejoice. When a member of the assembly is struggling, they cannot keep their electricity in their house. And your house is almost like, what do they call them? Steam room. Is, 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 is that how? Is, is, is that what we are? As members of the same body? Another member is freezing and you, you are in a steam room. When God created his church, when God designed his church, he made it foolproof. He made it foolproof so that we can almost... You know the United States Navy, I, I'm a military enthusiast. The United States Navy is almost is an organ in its own right. When the United States Navy aircraft carrier travels into the sea, it has a postcode. It has a postcode. It is a sovereign territory of the United States with a postcode. United States, United States Navy has its own teachers. They can have schools, militaries within the military unit. They have United States Navy has got its own doctors. What does that mean? It means if a country goes to war, right, and, and doctors, hospitals are destroyed, right, the military will still be able to defend the country. Why? Because the military will still have its own doctors that are going to treat its own soldiers so that they can go to war. The military will still continue to function as an, organ, as an organization. Why? Because it will still have its own teachers that will continue to teach children to go through. The United States will still continue to operate because it has its own library. It has its own firefighters. It is its own energy supply, on its own. It can operate as a unit on its own. For lack of a better example, that is what a church as an organism is. We can operate on our own when we recognize that we are one body that are invested in each other. The Corinthians had lost sight of this. And they had pursued these things. And the reason that they were pursuing these things is for their own grandizement and for their own selfish benefit. The reason why they were pursuing these gifts of tongues is because when they stood up and spoke in tongues, it's so that people can see that are beside them. That look, I am speaking in tongues. Look at me. Now, should every believer speak in tongues? What does scripture teach? Should every believer speak in tongues? I don't want to steal uh, seeds thunder, but one thing that we know is that for by one spirit, we are all baptized. Full stop. End of. There is no such thing as a secondary baptism to speak in tongues. When we talk about baptism of the spirit, we are all, every true believer is baptized. End of. The spirit of God 
is in us. But should every believer speak in tongues as a gift? What we see here is that the gift of tongues is no different to any other gifts that the Spirit of God gives to an assembly. Is everybody a preacher in an assembly? No. Not everybody is a preacher. Does everybody, we do have faith, but does everybody have the gift of faith? You have to read the book of George Mueller to understand what this is. This is a divine empowerment by the Spirit of God when God can give George Mueller to feed thousands of people with nothing. Even when he's looking in his cupboards and he's looking in his kitchen, he's got absolutely nothing and food is needed in the evening. It is a special kind of a gift. But what does scripture say about the gift of tongues? Do all speak with tongues? Verse 29. The reason why I'm addressing this is because of a particular issue that is in Christendom. If you look at all these questions, he asks all these. Is everybody an apostle? Is everybody a teacher? Is everybody a miracle worker? Does everybody speak in tongues? The answer is an emphatic no. Not everybody. The Spirit of God, He gives as He so wills. Okay? The gift of tongues is not the all to have an end of. The gift of tongues. You know, if you go, if you go to the book of Acts, you will understand what the gift, I'm trying to spare myself from chapter 14, but you will understand that the gift of tongues is a very, very, very specific gift. And the reason for it is very clear in scripture. It has a purpose. And one of his purposes is definitely not to thrill us. The verse that really brings it home is that, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to what? To profit with all. What does that mean? It means for mutual benefit. These gifts are not given so that you can be amazing. These gifts are not given so that you can be put on a pedestal and, 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 and then look at me. These gifts, one, they are not yours. They are a gift. You did not earn it. When people buy me things for my birthday, I didn't budget for it. I didn't sweat for it. They probably scout the internet trying to think, oh, what does dudes like? When things like but they give me. I accept it. Right? Now, if I am going to now take, on, take a, 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 a platform and say, you have no idea how much I paid for this. I'll be a fraud. I'll be telling a lie. These gifts from God are given to profit with all. They are for the function of God's assembly. Not for you. God has chosen. God who knows the needs of the assembly. God who knows his plans that he wants to accomplish about a local assembly. God who knows the future. He knows what sort of resources the assembly needs to achieve his purposes. And so in his divine wisdom, he then equips people in an assembly so that he can achieve whose purposes? His purposes. It is not so that the name of Jews can be known here in Gated. It is not the purpose. It is not so that I can be known to be able or 
to do this or that. That is not the purpose. God is achieving his plan. His son is going to come. His son is on his way. But before his son comes, God has some things to do. While you are still alive and here today, because God still has some things to do. And guess what? You are part of that plan. And God is going to equip you to go and do just that. Is to profit with all. Now, verse 31, covet earnestly the best gifts, but I will show you a more excellent way. How can we achieve this is how can we be those Christians that understand that we are one body? How then can we contribute our gift in the manner that God is intending for his purposes? How is it that you can be part of that body that will then recognize that God has a plan for you for his glory? to accomplish his purposes and you are part of that plan. The ingredient, the secret to that is love. It is only when self, selfishness dies and selflessness rises amongst the group of of God's people that we can begin to become a fully functional assembly. Chapter 13, those divisions, we put them to help us work our way around the Bible. It's not an abstract, it's not a parenthesis of what is happening. Chapter 13 is a continuation of what is happening before. It's going to continue all the way to chapter 14. So if you read it like that and follow it through, you will see the coherent message that is coming from God that is going through all these passages. And you read them holistically like that. I'm just whetting your appetite here. And then you will recognize as we face the end of this year, we'll come to recognize and hopefully what we ought to be doing as an assembly and we can pull together as one body. Let us pray. Our precious Lord and our good Savior, you are good unto us, Lord, and we praise and bless your name. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word that we can open before us and we can enjoy these things, Lord, so that we will be edified thereby. Teach us, Lord, to be teachable so that we can take these things into our own hearts. Bless, Lord, our conversations now. And we pray, Lord, for our brother John as he prepares for the ministry of the afternoon. We pray, Lord, for those that will come in, although that you will prepare their hearts once again, so that your name, your name will be glorified and be honored to the honor of your name. These things, Lord, we pray in that most wonderful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.